Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us uh, throughout this service. And as they go and have a seat, we turn to God and to His Word. Uh, This week, we're continuing our sermon series, Summer Stories, as we look at the parables of Jesus in the New Testament. And today we're on to Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells a parable that uh, I think seems to be avoided. I have too many books in my office, and uh, several of them are on the, on the parables, and some of the books about parables don't even address this parable because it just seems too odd or difficult or different from the norm. On the surface, this is a parable about learning, or excuse me, a parable about money, uh, but I think in actuality, it's about something far more. We're going to see in just a minute that Jesus uh, teaches, tells his disciples to learn from the world about how to be shrewd. That is how to consistently use what we have in wise and powerful ways. So uh, without any further intro, let's get into it. We'll be reading the first 15 verses of Luke chapter 16. You can follow along on the screen behind me or uh, if you have a Bible in your pew or uh, on your device. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in. The rich man called the manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. Now the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig I'm too ashamed to beg, I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe my master? And this person said, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And so he told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then Luke tells us, now the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. So Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So far, the reading of God's word. So, what do you think? Is this a parable about money and how to use your money? After all, Jesus says, 
Use your wealth to gain friends for yourself. Let's say, for the sake of argument, that you are a person who loves money more than anything else. What does a typical week or a month look like for you if you're this kind of person? Well, you meet regularly with a financial advisor. You're regularly checking apps on your phone to track the markets in general and your money, your investments in particular. You're looking for every opportunity to save on your expenses and to maximize your earnings or your income. In short, every decision you make in your life is filtered through this lens of financial viability. What your kids are involved in, where or when you travel for vacation, whether you buy new or used now or later, how you celebrate special occasions. If you're a person who loves money above all else, and if you're good at valuing money above all else, then every decision you make will be filtered through that money lens in some way. Another way to say that is that you will become a consistent person. If you value money more than anything else, you'll become a, a person who's consistent in valuing money in every area of your life. And being a consistent person in that way will bring you some degree of peace and confidence in yourself and in your situation. More money, after all, always promises to bring more control or, or more of whatever you want most, especially if you consistently use what you have in wise and powerful ways. But if you're really, really good at loving money, and if you have a lot of money, then there's probably one more thing that you'll want to do. You'll want to find not just a financial advisor, but you'll want to find a manager, somebody who can love your money and take care of it as much as you do, and work as hard as you can to manage what you own. Now, maybe just that little thought experiment gives you a little more insight into this first sentence in our text. Jesus tells his disciples there's a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And so he called him in and he says, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can't be a manager anymore. People who love money are, to use Jesus' word, shrewd. They know how to consistently use what they have in wise and powerful ways to benefit themselves. The rich man is really good at making money and really good at valuing money. And he sees that his manager is wasting his money and wasting his resources. So, of course, this manager can't be a manager anymore. This is where the story gets a little bit odd or unexpected. Before this manager is fired and before his termination comes into effect, he does something that's very shrewd as well. He realizes, well, my master's taking my job away. I don't have any other skills, and I need to be shrewd. I need to use what I have to create a good future to benefit myself. And so he looks around, and he asks himself, what do I have that I can use in powerful or wise ways to benefit me? And he has only one thing, his position as manager. And so he uses it. He uses it 
for his current boss to make sure that one of these clients of his current boss will be well disposed toward him, that they'll give him a job in the future when he needs something. It's quite a, quite a shrewd move uh, and quite a, quite a power move, a selfish move. So he goes to the olive oil merchant and he cuts his bill in half, right? He says, you owe 1000 well, pay 500 today, right? Before I lose my job, pay half now. It's a good deal if you're in the olive oil business. And then he goes to the baker and he says the same thing. Pay your bill soon for the wheat that you owe and they will give you 20% off. Many of you are in business or you, some of you even own or run businesses. Can you imagine in a commercial field giving, being given 20% off or even 50% off? You're going to be pretty thankful to that person who's cutting you that deal. So it's no surprise. Both the oil merchant, the baker are very happy with this guy right now. He's got two very good friends, two very solid job prospects. And let's be clear that this rich man who is the manager is working for is a very rich man. So it hurts a little bit to lose that profit, but more than that, he's a businessman, and so he commends the dishonest manager, even though this manager lost him some money. Why? Because he finally sees in this manager the same shrewdness that he values in himself. What does Jesus say about this whole story, this parable? Well, two things. First, he says, look, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light in dealing with their own kind. And second, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That's the second one that's especially interesting, I think, because our world suggests to us that money is one of the best things, one of the most important things that we can have. But Jesus says, no, you, you, money's fine, but use it to get some things that are better. Use wealth to get friends because friends are better than money. Use wealth to, get, to look or work toward that eternal dwelling. Jesus calls Christians to live in our world and to watch and learn from our friends and neighbors who know how the world works. Shrewdness is a kind of worldly wisdom. To be shrewd is, again, to consistently use what you have in wise or powerful ways to benefit yourself. That's what the rich man did. That's what the manager did as well. Even in a tough situation where he's about to lose his job, this manager finds a way to make it work to his benefit. Shrewdness that is commended by the rich man takes courage and creativity. It takes energy and time. It takes thought and planning. It takes dedication. It takes relationships with other people. In other words, shrewdness requires a kind of full commitment, a kind of integrity. Integrity is that kind of full commitment and consistency where your words and your actions match where how you live your life matches up with your beliefs and your values. Shrewdness requires integrity. Because if you want to accomplish your goals, you have to align your beliefs and your actions toward them. Someone who says they value money, 
but then is quick to buy the newest and latest technology every time it comes out, shows that in some way, they don't have integrity. Their beliefs, what they say they believe and how they act, don't match up. But Jesus calls his followers, his disciples, to be shrewd. Jesus calls Christians to have integrity. But our shrewdness and our integrity should be pointed at a different direction, or in a different direction, from others in our world. Put another way, Jesus calls Christians to live consistently, and to, or to consistently use what we have in wise and powerful ways, but not to benefit ourselves, instead to benefit others and to benefit the kingdom of God. If you've been listening to these parables throughout the series, then you know that this is what the parables are all about. The parables are always about life in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus reminds his disciples that you can't be shrewd in order to benefit yourself and be shrewd in order to benefit the kingdom of God. You have to pick one. Sooner or later, why is that? It's because sooner or later you're going to become a consistent person. Sooner or later, you're going to become a person of integrity whose actions and beliefs actually do match up. The question is not if you'll become a person of integrity eventually, whose beliefs and actions are pointed in the same direction. The only question is where they'll be aimed. Will your beliefs and actions be aimed toward yourself? Will they be aimed toward money? Or will they be aimed toward God and His kingdom? Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose, and you have to shrewdly choose. Financial shrewdness starts with one rule, basically. Earn money before you need to spend it. Relational shrewdness Likewise, starts with one rule. Gain relational capital, gain friends before you need them. And likewise, spiritual shrewdness begins with one rule as well. Gain spiritual capital before you use it. As I alluded to just a few minutes ago, our world ranks these in a certain order with financial independence at the top. Our world says that once you have your, finan your finances figured out and your financial independence figured out, then you can worry about your relationships, your friendship, or maybe a partner. And once you have good relationships, then you can figure out your spirituality or what you believe. The Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible in Proverbs reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That unless we have strong spiritual relationships with God, we can't know ourselves and we can't build strong and meaningful friendships. And unless or until we have a strong relationship with a community of other people and with God, our money and all our planning will simply go to waste. If you're going to follow in the way of the world, you can let your spiritual life wither you can leave it, uh, put it on hold for a time, figure it out later. But if you're going to follow the way of Jesus, then you can't do anything else until you shrewdly devote yourself to gaining spiritual capital. 
gaining enough spiritual capital to take the next step that will be required of you. So what does it mean to be shrewd with our spiritual capital? Mike Breen wrote a little book uh, 10 years ago or more called uh, Oikonomics, which is a, all about the economics of the family of God, the household of God. And this is what he says in his, uh, in his little book. He says that hearing and doing the words of Jesus are key disciplines if we want to embrace, or excuse me, hearing and doing are the, the words of Jesus are key disciplines we, want, we embrace if we want to grow in our spiritual capital. And then he gives two examples that I think are helpful to help us understand what he means. He says, people who hear but don't do the word of Jesus become inspirational junkies. They love the experience of worship and prayer, but since they never really put anything into practice in their lives, they simply run from event to event. Their lives remain unfruitful. The Bible calls this foolishness. The counter example, he says, there's people who do, but who don't hear. And they can fall into the trap of becoming vapid or kind of empty activists. They love the rush they get from serving or from organizing a mission trip, but because they don't take time to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of their frenetic or busy work activity bears little fruit. The Bible calls this operating in the flesh, meaning our normal human abilities apart from God and His power. This is how he ends his quote. He says, we must be committed to hear and do to grow in spiritual capital. So as we close today, I want to invite you to do an inventory of your own life, to wonder for yourself, how do you order And how do you value these three things? How do you order and how do you value financial capital, relational capital, or spiritual capital? Our finances include our money, our assets, all kinds of material wealth. Our relationships are, of course, our family, but also friends, connections, even recreational opportunities that we often enjoy with others. And our spiritual capital is hearing and doing the work of Jesus with commitment and joy. How do you value? How do you order these things? Which one is most important in your life? I want to pause there for a moment because it's not just a question that you can answer in 30 seconds or 22 minutes. It's a question that takes time, that requires reflection, self-examination. And I want to encourage you to take some time after the service today, maybe even this week, to reflect and wonder, which of these do I value most? How do I value them? Because this parable ends with a warning. The last few verses, Luke tells us that the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. Sneering is a kind of body language. They weren't, they weren't saying anything, right? But they were showing Jesus that this is all just, uh, we're not going to take you seriously. You don't know what you're talking about. 
So Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of people, but God knows your hearts. And this is the warning. What's highly valued among people is detestable in God's sight. I hope it's clear that the order in which Jesus prioritizes these capitals is clear. I hope it's clear that Jesus instructs his disciples and his followers to use their financial capital that they have, whether it's a lot or a little, to prioritize relationships, friendship, family, connections, meaningful time with others. And in the midst of those relationships, to work for and aim for and be oriented toward the kingdom of God and the family of God. So that his disciples are always hearing and doing the words of Jesus with joy and with others, but also with commitment, with integrity. Jesus will sometimes speak a hard word to each of us or to all of us, just like he did to the Pharisees, just like he did to the rich young ruler in another chapter in Luke. In Western culture, some of the hardest words, or some of the words that are hardest for us to hear, are often words about money. But remember the first parable that Jesus told about the sower. The farmer goes and he sows all these seeds, and some fell on different kinds of soil. All of it grows. When the word of the Lord is sown, sooner or later it grows. The only question is what will happen to it when it's planted? Will it grow and become something beautiful and strong and yield lots of fruit, or will it wither and die? Will it be choked out? Will it just be uh, distracted and caught up with a bunch of weeds or even eaten by a bird and flown away? Has God's Word ever come to you, pointing out some area of your life that God requires you to give to Him? Maybe God has pointed out certain personality qualities, certain desires, certain interests, or possibly relationships of your heart and mind. Maybe even in those times, you have been speechless with sorrow. It's a word you don't want to hear. But the Lord will not go after you. He won't plead with you or beg. Every time He meets you, At that place where he has pointed out to you, he will simply repeat the same word until you want to hear it. Saying, if you really mean what you say, if you really want to be a person of integrity, these are the conditions. Brothers and sisters, will you be an inspirational junkie? Someone who loves to hear but hesitates to do Or maybe will you be a vapid activist, someone who's always busy doing but doesn't stop to listen and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying? Or will you simply be a disciple, a follower who loves God more than money, more than anything else, who's eager to hear what God says and to do what He calls you, what He calls us to do? As we close in prayer, we'll thank God that Jesus was the latter. 
that our Lord Jesus Christ loved God and His kingdom more than all the treasures of the world, more even than His friends. So let's come to God in prayer, and then we're going to move toward communion. Father God, we thank You in this world where there is grief and sorrow, where there is injustice, and where there also is so much good, tools and things that we can use, like technology, money that allows us uh, freedom and ability to interact with others near and far. We thank you that in the midst of even friendships and family, which can nourish and support and help and strengthen us. We thank you, Father, that you have given us a gift that is greater than all of them, a relationship with you, the perfect creator and sustainer of our world in the macro and of us as individuals in the micro. God, we thank and praise you that this relationship, this spiritual partnership and family relationship is possible through the obedience, through the life, through the perfect life and perfect death of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Teach us always to hear what it is that you say to us and speak to us through your Holy Spirit about yourself, about our world, and even about ourselves. And teach us, Lord, not only to be hearers of the word, but also doers, so that our lives, too, might have integrity and might be wholly devoted to you in everything we say and do and everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.